Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner. I'm the producer of the show. We're really happy to have you with us today. We've got an Enneagram 8. That's right, an 8 with a 7 wing. Super excited about that. Marcus Johns, he is an actor, musician, writer, and social content creator, uh, best known for his viral vines. And when I say viral, I mean off the charts viral. Uh, he continues to entertain via YouTube. He's got a book called You Can't Do It. There are a million reasons you can't find the reason you can. Uh, so anyway, Marcus and his wife, Kristen, have just come through a horrific experience at the time that we did this interview. They were victims of a hit and run. And when I say hit and run, I mean, it, it was just so tragic. And thankfully, uh, they are on the other side of this thing and uh, they didn't lo lose their lives, and we we're so grateful for that. Uh, but we, we got an eight at a time when he was going through some real uh, life growing experiences. I mean, some real challenges, and he was looking at life really thoughtfully. Uh, and so uh, we continue to be surprised and amazed at the depth uh, and the beauty of the human person on the show. So super grateful to have Marcus on, and uh, I know you're gonna enjoy the interview. So, without any further ado, here is the host of Typology, Ian Cron. Marcus Johns, welcome to Typology. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. I've been uh, looking forward to this conversation. When I told my kids you were going to be on, I was, well, I was widely worshipped in my house. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they watch all of your content on your social platforms and they're like, ah, no, can we stand in the background and watch? I said, no, no you're 29. You need to go to work. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, tell them thank you for, for keeping up with our stuff. That means a I lot. will for sure. I will for sure. All right. So tell me, you know, obviously we're a show about the Enneagram and uh, how did you learn about the Enneagram and how did you figure out your type? So I had a friend who came out the, probably three or four years ago to visit us and they were talking about the Enneagram and, and you know, what it means and what type of person you are. And if you learned your Enneagram number, you can learn how to deal with other people better. And so we both took, me and my wife both took the Enneagram test. And then from then on, we've, it feels like every six months we take an Enneagram test when people are over because we always want to see what the other person is. So I have a limited uh, amount of information when it comes to Enneagram, but I know my number. So I'm eight wing seven. And yes, the, the most reckless number on the Enneagram. Yeah, I've been told. So I almost feel bad every time I tell people I'm an eight wing seven because they're all either like the worst type of person or like they're heroes. And like it's a very <laughs> fine margin between like you're either like Hitler or like uh, Martin Luther King. And it's just like, uh, hopefully I'm on the good side, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no number wants to go to its shadow side. That's for sure. Right. Uh, that's that, that doesn't just go for eights. That pretty much goes for everybody, you know. Okay, good. So the, our, our initial interview was scheduled and then had to be rescheduled because you and Kristen were hit by a car. Yes. And, and seriously injured. I mean, at the risk of uh, not wanting to re-traumatize anybody. Tell us what happened. So me and my wife, we do um, a nightly bike rides. Every, every evening we go for like a 30-minute bike ride just around our neighborhoods. And this was no different of a day. We were riding through our neighborhood 
and um, I just saw a car going really, really fast down this neighborhood road. It's a dead end street and there was a stop sign like not too far in front of us. So I was going to assume he was going to stop. He didn't and blew through that stop sign. And I didn't, I knew he was going fast and I didn't realize how fast he was going, but they estimate between 60 and 80 miles an hour. And he swerved into us and we were on the far, far edge of the road. There's no sidewalks on this road, but it's a very wide, you know, slow neighborhood street. And yeah, we got smashed and I woke up in the hospital. I don't really remember much after that, but we found out that the police were chasing this car Mm. and there was a police chase going on and he smashed into us and didn't stop and got away. Mm. So both me and my wife broke our legs. Um, She broke her hip and her femur and I broke uh, my lower leg. And so we've been doing physical therapy. Our physical therapist just left. I'm able to now finally lift my leg straight up, which is nice, um, but I have limited mobility and it just hurts to put any pressure on. So we've been walking on crutches and things for the last two months now. And it's, uh, yeah, it's been stinky. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that's pretty intense and I'm relieved that you're, you're, you're on the mend. But one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, you know, you're, you're known for some comedic material, am I right? Yeah. That would be fair to say, right? How does an experience like this change you? Oh, man. Um, I feel like even outside of the, the comedic stuff, like I, I, was, I was doing the, the comedy stuff, especially when I was younger, when I was like 19, 19 to like 23. And then I've kind of done more of like kind of the YouTube lifestyle, just stuff with my wife. Um, you know, I guess I would still consider myself like, you know, like wanting to do funny things on camera, but like, I'm not doing like skit type material. Um, so I don't think it's, it's gonna, I don't think that this accident has stopped me from like wanting to be funny or do lighthearted things, you know, and making content like that. But I think it's changed my perspective in terms of, um, I just, I think that I'm more sympathetic to everything now and especially when it comes to people with you know disabilities or um anyone who's gone through any type of like traumatic accident i i I keep thinking about how when i was younger i would hear people say um oh they're so strong they battled cancer and they came through it and like my young mind at the time didn't really understand. I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. They're strong. That's really cool that they like made it through. But like, I didn't really understand how much mental and physical strength you have to do to just literally lay in a bed and survive sometimes. And like people have gone through way worse things than I have. And now I think just my perspective has grown so much and I really, really value um, life and how amazing it is. And even that I'm just, even though I can't walk and, and can't really get around the way I want to, it's just amazing to be alive. And so now that is my full perspective is just how great life is. And, and I just don't take it for granted anymore. And I'm, and I'm a lot more cautious. I was, I was a pretty reckless person. I guess, you know, that'll go into my Enneagram and you guys will diagnose me a bit more, but I always like to reinvent the wheel and do things differently. And, and I was, and I'm a very, very big risk taker. And now physically when it comes to things like you know, even when I just see my, my neighbor's kids on the sidewalk, just on their scooters and a car goes by, like I, I freak out and I just go, yeah, they, sure. they need to wear helmets. And I was never cautious like that before. So mm. yeah, I think I'm just, I definitely am just more cautious and I value life more. And I'm, I, I don't know if I will be the risk taker that I was when it comes to physical activities. It just mm-hmm. changes you. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. All right, so you've been laying in bed, you know, for how long now? Um, since May 11th. So since May 11th. Yeah, okay. like just under two months. So, all right, so you've had a lot of time to think. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, when we go through times of, of crisis, I think, we theme, certain themes emerge over and over and over again in our minds when you're in a room by yourself. And especially as an eight that, you know, eights are not typically very self-reflective numbers, you know, like they don't spend a lot of time thinking internally. Like I'm a four, man. I'm always thinking internally. I'm always feeling things internally. Eights tend to be very much externally focused, not internally focused, right? Mm-hmm. So here you are, you're in a room, and uh, you're forced to slow down. You're, you're forced to chill. Mm. What are some of the themes and ideas, dare I say, feelings, uh, you've mentioned some already, but that just keep coming up for you that are surprising, maybe difficult to think about, maybe really great to think about? Um, but what just keeps coming up over and over and over again as a theme beyond, I'm just really glad to be alive? Um, well, first off, just saying, just just uh, hearing that of, of like eights are usually externally thinking. I can say the first right when I woke up, it was, "How's my wife doing? How she is she alive? Are we gonna are we gonna make a full recovery?" But the first week when I was in the hospital, I distracted myself in um, talking to the police and getting the full story and going on full detective mode, trying to find this guy. Who is he? Where is he? What's going on? So I I I, I definitely now you saying that I definitely realized I kind of was like, how can I get my attention off of my leg and like what's happening with me and try to fix the situation. Mm. And so that was, that was it for the first week. Um, and then after it was, I'm sitting here and I'm, and my leg is not going to come back and, and as fast as I want it to. But I think, Man, it's just funny that you say that because now, now my wheels are spinning about how I'm constantly trying to fix and set goals and say, oh, they say I can't walk for four months. I'm going to walk in two, you know, and like all of these, these, right. um, these benchmarks. But one thing, one of the feelings, let me think, like one of the feelings that I was feeling that was different would just be, yeah, I think I was just, I think I just became more sympathetic in general. I know I've already kind of given this answer, but I became more sympathetic to um, honestly, ev- like everyone, I feel like I'm more patient now. I feel like I'm a lot more patient and I'm a lot more, um, I, I think I like, I, I feel like I can look now at life and go, Oh, I'm not going to get that tomorrow. And that's okay. Mm. And I think I'm like finally kind of reconciling with like not being able to control things and being able to just go, life, life is going to happen. It's going to take, it's going to take its twists and turns and I'm going to be okay. I have to be okay with not being able to control certain things in my, in my life. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask control is such a central theme for the eights. You're kind of addressing that already, but what did it feel like to have something so huge and for things to be so beyond your control? Like what was the how did you, what what did that feel like when you first were facing that feeling or that reality, I should say? These are, I, I've never thought about these things until you're asking me. So it's really, you guys are like, really like hitting me here right now. It's kind of making me 
It's making me emotional. Um, can you rephrase the question? Because I really want to think about this. Yeah, let me, let me put it this way. So mm -hmm. every, every type has uh, an unconscious motivation mm -hmm. that, that drives the way they act, think, and feel on a regular basis. They don't know what it is, but, you know, it's kind of driving the show, right? right. And for the eight, the unconscious motivation is a compulsive need to assert uh, strength and control over the environment and other people mm. in order to push away feelings of vulnerability uh, and to hide them from other people. Mm. And so I think that's part of the reason we're asking the questions we're asking, which is if you're an eight, uh, this experience is pretty intense, right? Just for an eight to say, uh, I've learned that I'm not in control mm -hmm. is like a major breakthrough. Huge. Like for an eight to say that it's like, what? Like an eight might double down, <laughs> right? And right. do precisely the opposite. But it's interesting you're you're actually kind of surprising me. You know, you have guests on and you make guesses in your head, like, okay, what's this going to be like, right? Sure. <laughs> you're, you you have a uh, a softer, more vulnerable self-presentation than I would have guessed. I think and, that's for a lot of people. I think because most people, when they see the Vine videos and, and, the, and the persona that you put out, they see the wacky, crazy Jim Carrey-esque guy who's just loud and, and very much... Um, and, and boisterous and like that. But I think my truer self is kind of more like when I'm in a, in a situation like this, where it doesn't matter to me how many people are going to be on the other side of the screen, seeing this video doesn't matter. It's just, I'm here in a room by myself talking to two people. And I feel like this is not a lot of people get to see this side of me, but this I feel like is definitely my, my truer self. If I'm, if I am, if I'm putting it out on my platform, like, I know that it's going to hit this many people and I, and I, and I know exactly where it's going to go and how far it's going to be. Then I, and I'm in control of that situation. I'm going to put out a certain type of self, if that makes sense. But in this situation, I think that, yeah, I, I can be a bit more how people and friends would know me in like a more intimate setting. So it's interesting you use the word persona that's mm -hmm. a very that's a very three-ish word mm -hmm. um threes are I have, known i have three I, I i've tested like pretty high on the three two and one of the times that i've taken the test i've also gotten every single number evenly before and that they said that's like split personality and that's really bad so i was like what the heck <laughs> but i yeah. also, i also took that when i was with other people in the room so people go oh you're not like that and then you you know you change your number or whatever it is so yeah yeah so to have two personas, right? The real you and then the professional platform you, right? And I think there's uh, almost impossible to to not do that in terms of like it being yeah. the work of your job, you know. I to totally get it. No, no, I totally get it. Um, but what I, the question I'm asking is, eights are really bad usually a persona. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, they, they can't control the way that they are. They just are, and you just take them as they are. Yeah, they're kind of like, um, actually, a lot of times, eights are put off by people that, that 
have a persona because they they tend to be suspicious of hidden agendas. Mm. Like, why is this person, why do I get the sense this person isn't acting like who they really are right now? And it would, right. would kind of send a flag up the pole of, a, of an eight. You know what I'm saying? Sure, sure, yeah. So I was just curious about, about that and your experience of, of being an eight. It's so weird. I, I definitely too. I mean, I, I don't know what number this this particular number is, um, but I know that there is a number that's like their number is. Oh, I'm not that number, and you can't put me in a box. And and you know what is it? It's a four, right? Okay. Yeah. Yes, I thought so. And I feel like I have a little bit of that too. I always constantly want to. Um, I don't want to be put into a box and I don't want people to be like, Oh, you're this number. So you're an eight and you're like this. And like, to be honest, like part of me kind of, um, part of me doesn't want to like say I'm an eight and think of every single thing, like through the crash and through my book writing and everything through the lens of an eight. Like that is also something that is, is, um, it's, it's difficult for me because I feel like I'm, I'm a lot of different numbers, if you will, or, and, yeah. and I think it, is it not true that we all have a certain degree of number? It's just what number is shines forth the most. To yes, a certain that's degree. True. That's so true. I feel like I kind of have that um, also at the same time. So it's definitely hard for me to think like, what is my, um, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, you know say, I'm just me and you guys diagnose me and let me know what number <laughs> I am. No, man. You know, actually the thing about the Enneagram that's so great is that the only person who can, actually validate or verify their number is the person mm. themselves you, you know what i'm saying so like if you have friends telling you oh you're an eight it's like you should just tell them to shut up man because actually it's not their business you know what i mean <laughs> right, like, right. like it's really between you and you right you know right. the other thing is yeah you do you contain all nine numbers for sure right yeah. and um i think um, yes, we, we have one that we kind of major in, you sure. know, like, like it's our jam most of the time, but right. you know, we can, it, it, you know, go other places. And you know, what's interesting is, is that when an eight, when they're in a good space, they go to, uh, to two. And they're perceived as a two or their personality becomes you, a two. You know, your number, your number never changes. Right. But, right, right. Under stress or security, you can begin to act, look, and feel a little bit more like another number, but your right. unconscious motivation doesn't change. What is and the two? That's Again. called the helper or right. sometimes the befriender. Right. And maybe what I'm picking up on is the gentleness of that mm. in this yeah. moment. Uh, you know what's interesting? That my, my family always tells me this. I'm very... I'm, I'm more hard on the people that I'm closest with. And when I meet someone for the first time, I'm just like, anything you want, what, what do you want to do? Uh, and I, I definitely think that that is kind of my first, like I'm a very, um, I am an extrovert and I do have to kind of recluse and do my own thing. Uh, uh, but I think 80% of the time I'm an extrovert. I want to talk to people and I'm very giving when I first meet people. But then, um, you know, my, my family um, will say, you know, um, that I'm very giving to people that I don't know, and I'm and I'm more um, critical of the people that I'm closest with. And mm. I don't know if that ha has to pertain to kind of the eight flipping to a two to certain degrees, because I feel yeah. comfortable with the people that I'm closest with, and I can go like, don't do that or whatever it is, you know? Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's clear, and I think this is true for everybody, right? Like 
Marcus Johns is not an eight. You know, you're not a number as a human right, being. Right. 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 That, you're not a category. You're not a label. Right. And the Enneagram at best is, you know, provides a low resolution picture of what the inside of what somebody is like. You know, it's right. not like some magical Harry Potter instrument that, you know, gives us insight into you that no one else could ever find. You know, it's a it's a wonderful instrument. It does some really, really cool things. It helps us develop self-awareness and self-knowledge. It mm-hmm. helps us move through the world more intelligently and with and with more love and compassion. You know, if we mm-hmm. if we do our work with it. But it doesn't define somebody, you know. In fact, what it does in some ways is it tells you who you aren't. That, that, mm-hmm. that, that your type is really just a collection of defense mechanisms and accommodations you had to make as a little person in order to get by in the world. Ah. Uh, and is that I, – I've heard something about that, but does your Enneagram almost come, come out of your – your um, experience in your environment from when you are, you know, developing as a child fully. To- totally. Really. Yeah. So, not, yeah. so it's always learned. It's never. It's never um, genetic. It's mostly learned, from what we understand. Mm, no, I mean it depends on who you talk to in the Enneagram right. world. I, right. I would say that part of it is you were just born that way. Like I have an eight daughter. Okay. Right. Yeah. And she came out ready to rock man i mean she just seriously like she would tear the house apart she was like she had she just was fire man she just came out like fire um i have a nine daughter and she came out like the freaking dalai lama you know she's just such a peacemaker and i have a seven son who you know the enthusiast just came out funny i mean like you know, a little entertainer, you know? Um, so I think part of it is genes and it's just in the bone and the blood, right? you know, but a lot of it is, um, what we learn from our family of origin, what we learn from coaches and teachers and Mm -hmm. peers and, uh, our neighborhood, you know, like I was on with, um, someone a while back propaganda. You remember that interview, Anthony? Mm Mm-hmm. And, and uh, he was saying that, you know, he grew up in a tough part of L.A. And he's like, you know, I'm a three, but growing up, I had to act like an eight. Otherwise, I'd have gotten killed. Right. You wow. know, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that your uh, personality in, in many ways, what the Enneagram reveals is this is who you had to be as a little person in right. order to survive in the world. Right. right. But the things that serve you as a little kid don't help you as an adult. Right. So the Enneagram kind of reveals what doesn't help you anymore. Right. So it's almost like you're you're born with a certain innate trait number, if you will, but then your environment kind of, um, your environment shapes whether you became a healthy that number or an unhealthy that number. Yeah. And actually health or unhealth in your personality does this throughout the day. Right. Interesting. Right. Like you can have a phone call at 10 a.m. That's like, oh, man, it puts you in a really great space, you know, right. and, I, you know, I'm gonna, and then three hours later, something else happens. And it's like, whoa, you know, you go way down. And then, so, you know, so personality is fluid. It's adaptive. It's never static. Right. You know, it, it's always kind of moving around, so which true. is I'm always telling people that, you know, the word self is a verb. It's not a noun. 
you're you're always you're more of a you're more of a process than you are anything else you're constantly changing constant you know you're this conversation started 10 minutes ago you will never be that person again mm-hmm. mm. but we don't tend to see ourselves that way yeah that is true and and also too like everything you read or everything that i've read about the enneagram is if you're a bad person you're like this and if you're a good person your numbers like this but it's true it's like you can you can have a stomach ache or whatever and be you know the bad version of yourself because or you just found out some type of news whatever it is but yeah because when you when you read those things you you tell yourself oh well I'm not like that I can't be like that but everyone is good and bad all the time you know flip flopping depending on their emotions oh. so it's oh yeah totally that in check and and by understanding your number you can understand, oh, I'm starting to do this right now. And since I can be, since I have an objective kind of description of how I can get sometimes, I can notice that I'm doing that and go, I'm not going to act like this right now. Let me, let me rein it back or whatever that. Totally. And that's a really great insight, right? Like what the Enneagram does is it, it gives you not only this uncannily accurate description of your personality, right? The way, and I would describe personality as how you show up for life. Like it just describes how you typically show up for life, mm. right? And um, but uh, if you're using the enneagram for personal and spiritual growth, what it also gives you is this like little internal witness that can stand back, and because you know yourself so much better, you can say, "Uh oh, I know how this ends. If I keep acting this way, I know how this ends. So I think I'm going to make a different choice this time." Right. You know, this is just, this might be a little bit off topic, but I I realize because you are a four and you are typically, I think part of that is you, you don't, you, you kind of reject being something or being put into a box. The fact that you are, your interest in Enneagrams and being able to kind of diagnose or or look at people through the lens of, of Enneagrams I find is interesting. Do you think that's kind of uncommon for a four? No. Um, And that's no, because like my whole life, everything I've ever done has been kind of focused on trying to figure out what makes people oh, right. who they yeah, are. What is the greater part of the four again? Just one more time, if you can remind me. Yeah, so a four is somebody who grows up believing that there's something fundamentally missing or essentially wrong mm-hmm. at, the, at the center of their being, right? Mm-hmm. They tend to be very disproportionately represented in the arts. Um, a lot of great music can be written out of that broke, that feeling of brokenness, right? Sure. We all know that. Um, and so we're always sort of, we're sort of, as little people launched on a quest to find the missing piece in ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so I've always been someone who's very curious and by the way one of our superpowers is 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 empathy mm-hmm. right um and like like the first thing like you know we get one of these every time we do a show right it's it's a you know you know it is it's a publicist sheet and it, sure. you know they'll have suggested questions and i never look at them right because i'm not i'm not really interested in them you know uh-huh. i don't i don't want to ask questions about so tell me why you wrote this book you yeah, know what i mean yeah, it's like of oh god again so it's like i want to know about your interior world i want to know about who you are i want to know about your soul those are the kinds of things that interest a four right 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 yeah I, there's 
So on that, I wonder if we got off of this without actually getting to the question. So something that Ian says often, which I love is, um, you are not your personality, right? So we're talking about personality, but there's something underneath that. Uh, and one of the beautiful things about the Enneagram is as you discover sort of the driving part of your personality, it allows you to undo that, to get down to what's underneath, to, to the you that's underneath that. And a driving part of your personality as an eight would be this idea of control. And there was a moment when I asked you that question. What? Refresh. <laughs> yeah. And we, we sort of moved off of it. Sure. I just, yeah. I want to get back to it. Yeah. I just wonder, you know, when you realized that things were out of your control uh-huh. and you were, you were there in bed, I mean, you couldn't even help Kristen, right? Mm-hmm. Is that her, is that her name? It's your wife's name, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. You couldn't help yourself. You couldn't help her. You were totally, it was, you were, it was beyond your control. And you found something in that moment because you've, you've, you've referenced it here a few times. I just wonder what the feeling, what the sort of the immediate feeling was and where that led you. Um, Ultimately it was that God's in control Mm. and I have to relinquish my control and I have to understand that there is there's a king higher than me. I'm the king of my own life. And then when you get smacked by a car, you go, oh, right. Mm. There's a king that's greater than me. And then, and, and actually, there, it's, it's, as an eight, it's very, it can be hard, but it's um, very peaceful when you know, okay, like I'm serving a king ultimately, mm. and that's okay. And there's someone who knows better than me because, yeah, I'm laying in a bed. I can't do anything. I can't even bend my arms you know, my legs, my legs broke and I, I can't move my arms because I have these IVs in. I'm pressing a button to go to the bathroom and, and no one's coming. And it's just like, oh, but life's good because here I am and I'm alive. And, um, and like I give up control, God, you know, it's all good. And I think that was like, you know, that's where you find the peace ultimately is when you can just, when you stop having to think like, yeah, I'm in control all the time. Mm. Yeah, and maybe that's what I'm maybe that's what I'm picking up in the softness that I don't mm. normally pick up in an eight. Mm. Like eights are usually more aggressive. Right. You no, know? I can't uh, be. Don't play board games with me. don't worry. I've played I've played board games with you, man. <laughs> it's it's me, you know. But but when you get hit by a car, it's much bigger, and you can yeah. pull back and realize that. Wow. Yeah. Well, you grow up fast when you get when things happen like that. You know? Yeah, good. I'm actually glad that it happened to me. It sucks, but I'm going to be way cooler of a person now. All right. So you you have this new book, right? Today's the 26th. Right. Did it did it drop on the 23rd? The 23rd, officially. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So congratulations. Congrats. Hard yeah. work, right? Yes. So the name of the book is Find the Reason. Uh, no, it's called You Can't Do It. You there are a million it. reasons you can't. Find the reason you can. We got to give you the big shout out for that. Thank so, you. got a question for you. Mm-hmm. How would that book be written differently if it if you had done it after this accident? It would probably fully revolve around this accident. To be honest, this this book was um, this book was written in a time when I was um, when I was trying to I, a, a big part of my headspace when I was writing this book was I was trying to 
put on this musical. And I had a lot of people tell me that, you know, I couldn't do it more or less here and there. And then, you know, looking through that lens of, um, of my whole life of, of, about how I'm very motivated when people say that I can't do something and I wanted to kind of write about those experiences. I really do love to reinvent the wheel, even if it's worse, I'm going to make a triangular wheel and say it's awesome, you know? (laughs) And, and I really like to um, take on challenges head on. And I like, you know, getting in over my head. And um, so, so the musical was something that I was working on for like, a few years and when I had finally accomplished it and I'd put it on stage um, and it was about my whole experience about Vine and social media and then the ups and downs. That's was very relevant, very pertinent to my life at the time then. Um, and even still now it's like, yeah, if I'm writing a book now, of course it's going to be fully different, fully different perspective and, and all of that. But it doesn't mean that it, like, this isn't also a perspective of me. And this also more, more goes into kind of my, my journey you know, getting to, you know, being a social media kind of influencer and kind of running around Hollywood and like losing myself and, and all of that. Um, and then now it's, it would definitely, if I were to write something, it would, I I've already written about that. And now, yes, I'm a fully different person, I guess, after this accident. And what's interesting too, is like, you know, as I've been doing these interviews and stuff, um, when something happens to you, it's crazy, but then, you know, there's a certain point where, you, you know, you think about it, but then you, you kind of bounce back and you're like, okay, I need to get back to my regular life and you just start moving and doing. But other people look at it from the outside going, oh my gosh, you got hit by a car and you flew 50 feet and like, and like you, they don't, they didn't go through it. So they're just kind of like, it's even more like, wow. But since when you've gone through it, you're, you're, and you've gone through it for so long, you're kind of just putting your head down and wanting to just kind of like run through it. But the more I talk to other people and the more they go, wow, this is crazy. Tell me about it. I'm now having to reflect And this whole interview process has been very therapeutic for me because we haven't, you know, it's been so soon. We haven't talked to, you know, a therapist or anything. And I never have really like growing up. So it's been very therapeutic for me to realize, wow, this was a crazy accident. And wow, this has changed me. And it makes me stop and reflect. And it's actually been very nice um, mm-hmm. to do that. So. Yeah, I think I think all, all that to say, I know it was a long ramble, is is the more I talk about it, the more I realize, wow, this is a life-defining moment in my life. I'll look back when I'm 16 and go, yeah, I got hit by a car when I was 27 with my wife and we almost died. And it was insane. And I probably should have died. And for some reason, I'm still here. And what's my mission? And what do I need to talk about? And so, um yeah, if I were to write it today, it would, it would be fully different. That's for sure. What would the title be now? If it, if it was written today, what would the title be now? Oh man, I don't know. I do I do not know. I'd have to think about it. Um, I can't say. I can't say right now. I'm very I'm very specific about titles too. Like I, I can't write or do something until I have the title. Okay. Um, but in this case, it's um. I, I, I don't know. Smashed by That's a car. Right. It would be something, I would honestly be something probably funny like wh- when life smashes you or something like that yeah. or like something about like some. <laughs> smashed by a car, five reasons not to get smashed yeah, by a yeah, car. Yeah, that's like the worst, that's, the, that's literally the worst answer ever, but I do not know. I don't know. If it were to be written, it would probably be co-written by my wife also too because she's gone through more than I have really in terms of medical complications and stuff. So um, mm. it would be a fully different experience. I would say that. 
So let's talk about you and your wife. She's a three, right? She's a three. And you're in a, what's that like? What's the dynamic of that? How long have you been married? Well, she's a six too. She's taken it once and has gotten a six really quick. Does that, is there a three and six thing? And there, all? There's a, there's a relationship but, but potentially to, between a three, a six and a nine. Those three numbers share, what's called, share a line on the Enneagram. Okay. So when your wife is in a really, you know, good space, she acts like a really healthy six. And when she's in a bad space, she acts like a really unhealthy nine. Okay. I want to know what that, what the answer yeah, okay. I've been married three years. I think you started to say something about that. Yeah, no, no. Okay, so tell me about the dynamic of being an eight married to a three. You, as you said to me earlier before we started, right, like that's the, the power couple, and it would be a power couple. What's, what's the dynamic like? I would say, oof, I'm going to get in trouble if she ever watches this. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say, I would say um, when I first met Kristen, I was, she was, she was a church mouse ultimately. And she wasn't, um, she didn't really have a platform and she didn't want to do anything in terms of public speaking or anything like that. And so when I met her, I, you know, I, I just thought she was incredible and, um, you know, I, on the first date, I told her, like, we're going to get married and all of this. And this was kind of at the height of, like, you know, my fame on Vine and, and, and all of that in college. And um, and so I moved to L.A. and we did long distance for three and a half years. And during that time of long distance and even before meeting her, I was my own man. And I was doing social media and I was, you know, living in this building with all these Viners. And it was a, it was a crazy time in my life. But I was the boss of my own life. And I didn't have to answer ultimately to anyone, especially because of the long distance stuff too. And I think when we got married, you know, when you get married, you, you have to, your life changes. And then you, you have a full-blown partner. And Kristen is very good at curating and making aesthetics and like just building a home and and she's actually much better than i am at you know at social media in terms of like you know design and aesthetic and 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 upkeep and posting often i'm more someone who's just like i'm just gonna put out what what i'm wearing on my, you know i wear my emotions on my sleeve for the most part i would say and i'm not afraid to just kind of blurt out what i'm thinking i think that's probably the most interesting thing um for for my audience and i was and i was reckless and i think people kind of like that chaotic energy, but I wasn't necessarily good at it. I'm not necessarily good at being like, I'm going to post an Instagram story that's going to be um, engaging in a calculated way. If it's engaging and you're listening to me, it's just you're engaged by my personality and it really has nothing to do with anything I'm consciously thinking about. So the point being, she's good. She's better than I am at social media, but social media was my thing for the longest time. And then I started to kind of grow sick of social media because I did it for many years and, I, and it kind of got old and I didn't want to do the same lame skit over and over again. So I wanted to, you know, do other things. And, and I think that there was kind of the shift between like the internet was and, and, and the audience was kind of like more about me centered and Kristen was like my girlfriend. And so people started following her, but now it, Kristen, is is the front runner. Kristen is the person that kind of people fall to. And I'm more the fun, zany side character in her story. And I think like, and, I, and I'm actually, I was actually, I'm actually very glad that that was the case because I probably would have just thrown away everything that I had built because I was, I'm always on to the new tasks. I think that's the seven in me is being like, what can I forge? What's the new task? I've already done it. I don't care about it. 
Um, but Kristen did the upkeep and curated that content and that, and that audience and has cultivated that. And so now that I'm kind of getting back into that and getting back into the whole social media side of things, um, I have that innate eight of being like, I did this once and I'm very good at it and I know how to get, and I got millions of followers and I can do this, you know? And then Kristen has been the one who's like, well, like I've been doing this and like, you know, I've kept this up. And so like, there is, there is this kind of like, um, there's this, uh, dynamic in terms of like what people see from the outside of, um, of like, you know, social media being our full-time job, being influencers, being content creators. Um, there is kind of this thing where it's like now Kristen is the boss. She's the captain of the ship. And she's like, I think we should do this video. And, and, and I'll say, you know, well, what, and I, I feel like now there, there is this kind of, there's this thing where I feel like I knew what I was doing at 19 years old and I could just do whatever I want and go, you know, hang off a bridge and do wacky things and it would work. But now I'm too, I'm too old and, and, and I don't want to be doing those things, but I don't know how to, it's hard to say, I'm, I'm really trying to think about this and say it the right way. I, I know that I have to, I know, I know I'm not the, the, the young hotshot that I was, but I, I still have that, that urge to be like, I want to, I want to go build the paramotor and fly off of a mountain. And Kristen saying, you're not going to do that because we're going to have kids and you're going to live, you know, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that is kind of the struggle that I have of being like, wait, I was, I was the boss. I knew what I was doing. And now I'm kind of like, and now Kristen is the boss. Uh, you know, so, um, and so I, I, I guess that is like, if, the, if I'm really trying to hyper-focus on a characterization of the struggle of eight verse three, that would be it. But it, it is more, more or less pretty, um, you know, harmonic, you know, in terms of the house. And we, we mostly, you know, agree and all that. But I would say the public perception of what people see as Marks and Kristen in the power couple, that would be probably the dynamic is Kristen is the three. She actually knows how to put on, you know, the face and do that. And I'm mm. kind of more of the, um, I'm just going to be me and do it. And people will like it. And Kristen will be like, you probably shouldn't say that Marcus. And I'm like, don't tell me how to say it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's it. That, that would, would probably be the dynamic. Um, well, that sounds I, that sounds pretty three eight ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the that that is the probably the 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 roughest dynamic. I would say I'm painting it in the worst picture possible, so you guys can di dissect it a bit more for me and tell me what I should do when I'm doing things wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if we had twenty more sessions, we could do that. <laughs> but <laughs> but that's expensive. But anyway. Um, you the book right you you can't do it there are a million reasons you can't find the reason you can right um so tell me about how spirituality fits into your life and into the story of this book um it's um the last the, the most of the the chapters are talking about how you can overcome and how you can do it and 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 how and and in my perspective on um of, of liking the challenge and, and wanting to prove people wrong. And, and it kind of goes on this, you know, trend of like, of noticing when people are telling, you no and how you can get around. And then the last chapter ultimately goes, you can't do it. You have to give up something. And sometimes you can't do what you want to do and you have to rely on God to be able to get that done. And so that, that is uh, hopefully the thing that people take away is, um, 
the through line is you you ultimately can't do it. It's not a, it's not a ironic you know uh, title of a book. So people will kind of look at it and go, oh, it's this ironic title, and I can figure out how I can do it. It's like no, you you can't. You have to rely on God to get to get to just get through life. You do, and I think that's if and and for me and Kristen too, that's that's the glue that holds us together is um, our relationship with God and in having that foundation and having that you know bedrock. Um, for for our relationship so that when you know we're we're we both have different plans we ultimately come back to okay what's god's plan for us in seeking him so yeah Hmm. i've been in a 12-step recovery program for a long time decades for drug and alcohol addiction and one of the you know we have it's goofy but in this particular recovery community we have all these goofy sayings you know mm-hmm. like it's like these and they're reminders you know that's all they are it, you know they're platitudes that are actually helpful especially in the beginning when you're trying to pull your life back together right and one of them is let god do for you what you cannot do for yourself mm. and that sounds like what you're you're aiming at in that last chapter yeah Yes. Is, it, yeah. it's, is it, that kind of it? Yes. That's, that's said perfectly, I would say. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> we'll close out the interview. Man, I, uh, let me ask you a question. You, a friend comes to you and does say, I really want to do this. Mm. I have so many reasons that I want to do this. And there are so many reasons why I can't. Right. What would you tell them? It, it depends on the person, but I feel I think that most people who have those feelings are. I think the thing that holds people back the most is the fear of failure, uh, the fear of well, but what if I'm bad or what if it doesn't work out? My mindset has always been okay. So what? Like it doesn't work out. I I guess I have that innate um, you know eight built into myself where I don't care what people think. You know, okay, yeah, I sucked. That's fine. I'm going to go on to the next thing. But I think people are very scared and crippled by fear. And the older that you, the older you get, the more things you fail at, and the harder it is for you to go. Oh, but I remember I failed at this, and I remember I failed at that. I was very lucky that I had a string of successes as I was younger, all the way up to, you know, I got on social media and I got on Vine and, you know, I had all these successes of, you know, I auditioned for the musical and I got the lead and these little things that kind of shape you as you get older. I was lucky in all those situations, you know, I could have auditioned for that, you know, you know, my senior musical and, and, you know, not gotten the lead and go, Oh, like, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to pursue singing anymore. Like I'm, I'm not good. Clearly I didn't get the role, but like I did for whatever reason, maybe it's because I just looked the part, but you have these things that happen to you in life that, that tell you, you know, that reinforce these things of, Oh, I can make it or I can do it or, Oh, I failed. And as I've gotten older, I've had more of those experiences, you know, cause you get more gutsy and you're like, Oh, I keep winning. I'm going to keep doubling down. And, you know, now that I'm older, I have things where it's like, oh, that didn't work out. That wasn't, that wasn't great. But you still have to push through that failure, I think. And you still have to find a way to not be afraid of failure because the, my dad always says this, he's, he just says, the worst they can say is no. Like when it comes to an idea or whatever it is, you know, the worst they can say is no. 
And I always liked hearing that. And, and if I can just kind of put that, you know, if I can fit that into whatever I'm, I'm going into the worst, the worst that can happen is X. And generally the worst that can happen is really not that bad if you think about it. And I think like playing, uh, playing the, the mind game of like, you know, of like, well, what is the worst that can happen? And when you say it out loud, you kind of, it kind of deflates, you know, the worst thing that can happen. You go, yeah, well, I'm going to do it. The experience is worth it enough, even if it doesn't pan out. Mm. So that would be, I guess, a, a very long answer to that question. No, it's a very good answer. My, my, uh, <clears throat> my manager always says uh, when we're about to start something new, he'll go, all right, let's go out there and make a really big mistake. You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which always makes me laugh and always actually encourages me because it's yeah, like, it hey, let's just go out there and make a really big mistake and see what happens. You it's know? just like if you just own like, yeah, I suck. Yeah, it was bad. Then if you're the one who's saying it, if other people say it, it's just like, what are they doing? They're beating a dead horse and it just deflates it. If you can, if you can just, if you can swallow that pill before it even starts, it's like you've already won. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's beautiful. All right, so here's my last question. Um, the you've got this platform. People know you and your wife mm-hmm. on a platform, mm. right? Which is a lot different than. It's just interesting to me, like even as an author, right? Like I wrote a memoir a couple of years ago, and and what was so interesting about it is how people would approach me and talk to me as if they knew me. Uh, do you know what I mean? And I'd yeah, be like, totally. well, that was, I mean, a memoir does tell you a lot of things about me, but it doesn't mean you know me. Yes. Right. Yep. And just because you're funny or because now you're doing more lifestyle stuff, mm-hmm. just because you see pictures of us in our home, you know, it doesn't mean that you actually know me. Yeah. Right? So my question to you is, what, if, what would be one thing that would surprise your followers to know about you that you actually haven't really revealed. I feel like we we tr- we try to reveal everything in time. It's hard to know what I haven't put out, to be honest. Um, I don't know. I would say. I mean, I could give you a stupid answer. Like I have a. I have a. 12 bikes in my backyard. No one knows about that. I have 12 bikes in my backyard and I'm taking them all apart and I'm welding them and I like to create and, and doodle things. But I, I really wish I could give you a better answer about, well, my soul longs to be this. And, but I think that most people know, you know, I think, I think it would, I think an example, uh, I think someone just watching this video, um, kind of, uh, I think the average person, the average, the average follower doesn't really know, um, Probably my more like <laughs> searching for a word side. I'm I, my my more insightful side. I think people kind of just think Marcus is the guy who's in Kristen's videos. Like yeah, <laughs> you know. I think that's what people see. You know, and, and it's easy to to do that and to be that person and to get a laugh and and it's more engaging. But I think I think there is like a, you know s- sitting there and searching for words and, and and really being insightful isn't as clickbaity and it's not as exciting to watch. But I hope that when people watch videos like this of me, they'll go, oh, he's a bit more he's a bit more of a of a well-rounded person than you know than a persona. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, and that, and also, I, I wish we had more time to talk about this, but it, but really is every single person that you know on social media 
is um, they, they do have a certain persona that they have to put out because it's, it's only efficient. You can't put out everything. And if you do put everything, then where's the mystery? So there also has to be a certain layer of, you, you have to, to be sane in this industry, you have to only put out a certain part of yourself because you put out everything, you don't have anything left for you. And so I think that that's, that's kind of built in, but you know, maybe, maybe the intrigue of it is that there are things that you will never know about me. And you kind of have to do that to be, you know, a real person or to be a person who can stay in entertainment or, you know, you know, be, do a podcast or anything, you know, without, because I've seen too many people burn out, you know, on just like they, yeah. they put everything out and that's, and I don't think that that's sustainable, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I have a friend of mine who's he's actually a, a very well-known frontman for a band. And mm-hmm. I kind of asked him the same question over dinner one night. He's, said well here's what i do he said when i go out on stage or you know around on tour or something like that i go in my closet and i put on my blankety blank it's his name my blank blank suit you know right right. and then when i come home i take off my blank blank suit and i put it back in the closet ah yeah you know and i don't put it back on again until i get on the bus you know uh and he go back out in his life he can have his job and he can have his family life and his you know you have to have that i think to be a real person yes yeah, yeah. to be a real person hey everybody i want you to go out and make sure i want i want you to promise me you're going to go out and buy marcus john's new book you can't do it there are a million reasons you can't find the reason you can it only dropped three days ago the ink is still wet on the pages Go get this book, and while you're at it, say a few prayers for him and his wife, Kristen, that they will recover and and become more beautiful as a result of the experience in some way. Marcus, thank you for being with us, man. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah, it was really fun. And uh, Typology listeners, we love you. We think the world of you. We're so honored that uh, you take time to, to listen to us as we try to explore life through the lens of the Enneagram. And don't forget the words of the great Oscar Wilde, be yourself, everybody else is already taken. Until next time.